Yeah, yeah. Good to be with you. Good to be in God's house with air conditioning. Thank, thank the Lord for air conditioning. Yeah. See, I'm old enough to remember when the churches got air conditioning, like the late 1960s, 1970. My grandma wasn't so happy about it. Let me just say that. She had to bring her sweater. I see some of you, her shawl. What's up? It's so cold in there. Well, you know, thank God, you know, we're getting through it. You can come in, get refreshed. We wrapped up our series that was 54 weeks long. Well, not that long. It was a long series last week, though, on the 23rd Psalm. And, and I really, and I'm going to tell you, you know, I, I preach all the time. I can't say I love every series. We preach through it. We teach through it. Some you like better than others. I really enjoyed studying getting into the 23rd Psalm. So much help there. So much direction for us. We're going to do two weeks. And then as Ryan said, we're going to start a series in August about the way we think called Mind Hack, changing our thinking, renewing our thinking, beginning to have a mind like Christ, a biblical worldview. How does that happen in a culture that isn't biblical? For these two weeks, the topic and the subject matter is to be or not to be. I think you've heard that before, to be or not to be. And I'm going to say this right up front. Today's message is a challenging message, a little bit difficult. It probably won't be your favorite message. This is not the way you should intro a sermon. They teach you that. Never, ever say those kind of things. Start with a funny story. Make the people feel good, you know. But I just want to tell you, it's one of those challenging messages that I believe is, is probably not going to be my best sermon. I'm going to tell you that right now. But I believe it's timely, it's needed for the culture and the church world that we're living in today. And many times, pastors or preachers do not say some of these things, and I understand that because we're imperfect people delivering a message talking about change, and sometimes we refrain or shrink back from doing that because we see our imperfections. And the thing is, I have to do this because God's called me to preach the truth in love, grace and truth. And I am imperfect, but I'm delivering a message about a perfect one. His name is Jesus, and his word is perfect. And I am standing today to share that, that we're living in really an anti-God thinking culture in world, or we could say it this way, atheism is alive and well in America and around the world. We see it in our social media. We can see it in the news. The people we interact with day in and day out, week in and week out. We can see it on billboards and buses and advertisements, things like this. I want to talk about an anti-God thinking culture, atheism alive and well in the world that we live in. We see it on advertisements like this. You don't have to believe in God. In the beginning, man created God. You can be good without God. We can see it in advertisements like this in Italy. The bad news is that God does exist. The good news is you don't need him. There was a slogan a couple years ago in London, and it said this. There's probably no God, 
Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Well, you think about that. There's probably no God, so your life has no ultimate meaning. There's probably no God, so you came from slime and were returning to slime. There's probably no God, so have fun dealing with the problems in your life. There's probably no God, so you're never ever going to see your loved ones in heaven. There's no heaven. There's probably no God, so there's no hope, no grace, no everlasting life. You see, atheism is finding its voice again because our culture has become totally secularized, and secularization isn't neutral, it's anti-Christian. I'm going to say it straight up. Satan's working overtime. He's working overtime. Look at the 20th century. The most famous atheist who, by the way, started out as socialist, Lenin, Stalin, Hitler, Mao Zedong, he was kicked out of China. Without God, we can only tear down. But with Christ, I want us to know that we are in the business of building up. That's our job. I'm going to say it again. Satan's working overtime. Tell your neighbor, Satan's working overtime. See, our nation and the church of Jesus Christ have allowed ourselves to be duped and lulled to sleep. We've taken God out of our government, no Ten Commandments, no prayer. We've taken God out of our schools, no Ten Commandments or prayer. We can't talk about the God of the Bible in our schools. We've taken God out of our marriages and our families. We've even taken God out of the church, and we're making God into our image, trying to conform him to ourselves instead of being transformed and conformed to his image. We add to and we take away from the Word of God. We pick and choose the parts we believe and the parts we choose to obey. Our culture is overly preoccupied, if you could say overly preoccupied or just preoccupied, with image. The culture is preoccupied with image, and the church is also preoccupied with image. We have celebrity pastors, we have glitz and glamour, and we think we're so cool. But my question today is, I told you it's a hard message, do we have the anointing? Do we have the presence and the power of God? Are we going after cool today in the age in which we live? We have said we don't want God, we don't need God. God, you're antiquated, you're archaic, you're out of style, you don't fit into our modern culture. And yet we see as we remove God, our world is in desperate need and the problems are glaring. How many would say, I see some problems taking place? Yeah. 40 million people in the United States have anxiety disorder. 300 million people around the world have depression. 16.2 million adults in the United States are depressed. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people in the United States ages 15 to 24. 44,000 Americans die by suicide each year. In 2000, 2017, in the United States, there were 70,237 70, drug overdoses. Satan's working overtime, and we want to say we don't need God. 
And I'm going to say this. The church is falling asleep at the wheel. People need help and they need hope, which can only be found in Jesus Christ. And the only way people are going to know Jesus Christ is through us, the church of Jesus Christ. It comes through us. We need to be the church. Queen Esther in the Old Testament recognized her time and her opportunity, and she realized she was called to the kingdom for such a time as this. We are the church. We are called to the kingdom for such a time as this. We have an opportunity. It's a prime time to be a Christian. Say it with me. We have an opportunity. Yes, we do. The problems are glaring. People are hurting. People are broken. We have a prime time moment right here. We have an opportunity to reach this generation with a message that tells them that Jesus loves them, a message that is relevant, life-giving, that never, ever goes out of style, that God has a perfect plan for their life. Our culture is dark. So my thing is, let's be the light in the darkness, the church of Jesus Christ. It's our time now. Tell your neighbor, now. Come on, let's stand together, if you would, and let's take God's word and say, Lord, speak to my heart today. It's our time now. Really, don't settle for less than God's best for your life. May we as the corporate body, the church, not settle for less than God's best. We look at a time like this that is difficult and challenging, and what should we do? That's what we're going to talk about today. What should we be doing at a time like this? And I believe locally we're doing many of these things. But I want us, our hearts to be right. I want us to make sure, as I talked about last week, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that we are going to walk in, and we're going to hear, well done. Amen? I want to be able to walk in as a pastor and hear, well done. You didn't compromise the message. You didn't shrink back. You told the truth. You told straight up. You delivered the message that was many times difficult and challenging, but in love. I don't want to have to hold my head down in shame and weep tears that he has to wipe away because I wasn't faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to hear, well done. Amen? You're going to hear, well done. We're going to hear the word of God. So, Lord Jesus, come today. Speak to our hearts, if you would, please. This is my Bible. This is the Word of God. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. When I read and hear the word, faith comes to my spirit. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God It'll change my life. I'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Download the lap app if you would. Use the handout. I just want to tell you, I love you. Tell somebody you love them. I love you. I love you. I love you. I really mean it. I love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't say some of these things. I love you. We're living in challenging days, difficult times. I'm going to say, yeah, there's some difficulties and challenges and problems. 
Are we living in the last days? I believe we are. I say that without hesitation. Every prophecy has been fulfilled that needs to be fulfilled for the next thing to take place. And the last prophecy that was fulfilled to set that time clock took place in 1948 when Israel became a nation. And so everything is set in place for the rapture of the church and then the great tribulation. We're living in the last days. So as we look at that, I want to kick off with these two portions of Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first five verses, and 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 through 5, as the Apostle Paul gives instructions to Timothy how to pastor, how to minister in challenging times. So let's look at that, and we look at these. But know this, that last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers, lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. Then we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn from their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. We don't want to hear the truth. We don't want to receive the truth. We want to believe the truth. We want to do our own thing. So what should we do as we are living in challenging times? And so as I said, the title for these two weeks really is to be or not to be? And that's the question from Shakespeare's play, Hamlet. And the question being asked was this, is it better to oppose the challenges uh, and attacks of life, or is it better to just live and die? And the question for us today, to be or not to be, are we going to be the church of Jesus Christ or not? What should we do in these challenging times? Well, I'm going to propose some, some things. First of all, I want to propose, number one, let's follow Jesus. How about that? Amen? Let's follow Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus. There's the old song we used to sing in church, and it was, I have decided to follow Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me, I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, I will follow I have decided to follow Jesus. How many this morning have decided to follow Jesus? Say it with me. Don't turn him back. All the way. I have decided to follow Jesus. See, Jesus calls us, is calling us to follow him. When the disciples first met Jesus, he gave them an invitation. Come and see. And then they said, come and see. And Following Jesus is what we call discipleship. Not just the original 12, but a follower of Jesus is a disciple of Jesus. So if you're following Jesus, you're a disciple. It's a lifelong process. It's a journey. And a journey ultimately brings us to the place where Jesus says, now that you have seen, and this is what he was doing. We see Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, the second part of that, he said to him, Matthew the tax collector, follow me. So he arose and 
followed him. And you think, what's so big about that? And many of you know, tax collectors were despised in Israel. The Roman government ruled Israel. The Jewish people were not free in their own country. They were under the oppression, oppression of Rome, the Roman government. And a tax collector, you know, collected the taxes for Rome, exorbitant taxes. And he was Jewish. He wasn't Roman, collecting taxes from his own Jewish people. And he always took more for himself. And so these men were of ill-gotten gain. And we see Jesus says to Matthew, the tax collector, come and follow me. And then later that afternoon, he's at his house, and he's eating with them, and he's talking with them, and he's hanging out with them, and the religious people said, what's up with that? I'm going to tell you, Jesus shatters all of our man-made rules. You know that? He's out of the box. He, I'm thankful he's out of the box. Amen? Some of you would not be here today if he wasn't out of the box. Somebody say amen. amen. Come on. He said, what's he doing? He says, hey, it's not the... Well, who need a physician? It's the sick. He says, I've come to seek and save those that are lost. But then Jesus says, come and see, and then he takes it a step further, and that's what he always does. Mark chapter 8, verse 43, whoever Jesus says desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, these are some tough statements, challenging, difficult, like I said, this would be this morning. So we're going to break Jesus' statement down. And the audience that initially heard these words were very familiar with the Roman cross, the metaphor Jesus was using. Insurgents were nailed to crosses as punishment for their acts of rebellion against the Roman government. A prisoner would carry his own cross on the way to execution as a sign of his submission to Rome. And so Jesus used the image of carrying a cross to illustrate that ultimate submission is required for us to really follow Jesus. And I'm going to say Jesus isn't a killjoy. He's not against fun. He's not against us enjoying life. Nor is he saying that we should debase ourselves, seeking pain needlessly. What Jesus is saying is if we're going to follow him, eyes wide open. There's four things he's asking from you and me this morning. Number one, let go and give him control. Relinquish leadership of your own life and making the Lord of your life today. Daily allow Jesus to be in charge. Follow his directions. Life works when Jesus is in control. How many found that out? So we look at our core values here at Morning Star Fellowship. Here's the first one right here. It's all about Jesus. It really is. It's all about Jesus. And then he says, deny self. We live in a day that says, it's all about me. What do you mean deny self? It's all about me. Self-fulfillment. We're becoming selfish. We're narcissistic. It's not all about you. Here's another core value we have here. We're here for others. Tell your neighbor, it's not all about you. Come on. We're here for others. Then he says, take up your cross. And, and sometimes we all talk about our difficult circumstances. And, 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 you know, we all have degrees of difficulty in life. We talk about that relative who's hard to live with and get along with. And we say things like, well, that's my cross to bear. 
That's not what Jesus is talking about. Mm -mm. The cross isn't something you endure solely because, you see, the cross he's talking about is we endure because of our devotion to him. Our life has been changed. Our lifestyle has been changed. We are not like this culture. He says, be in the world, but not of the world. Come out from among them and be separate. I'm going to talk more about that last week. Next week, I should say, not last week. Come out from among them and be separate. You're in the world, not of the world. He's calling us to a different life and a different lifestyle. And he says, carry that cross when it's difficult. Carry that cross when you're challenged. Carry that cross when it's not popular. Carry that cross when what you think and what you believe is being challenged in the workplace. Carry that cross when everything you're hearing is anti-God and you're standing up and you're trying to be a witness and you're trying to share lovingly. It's not because you're being persecuted. You know, some, just because because you're a jerk in the workplace doesn't mean you're getting persecuted for Jesus Christ. Sometimes we can just act like jerks in the workplace. Okay? You can't blame it. Oh, but it's because I'm a Christian. Nobody likes me. No, because you're an irritant. That's why nobody likes you. You're not doing your job and people have to pick up the pace for you. No, no. I'm talking about when you have different values and different beliefs and you are standing up because you are living differently than everybody else around you. How many hear what I'm saying this morning? Carry your cross. Then follow Jesus. Be all in all the way. In this life, all the way in to eternity. So what does that look like every day? You're faced with choices every day. I'm faced with choices every day. And so what does that look like? Will you choose a sinful act? Will you choose disobedience over what Jesus wants you to do? How do I know what Jesus wants me to do? Well, that's why we have the Word of God. Will I choose my way or His way? Do you choose self-fulfillment over doing His will? Jesus tells us sooner or later our choices will catch up with us and the choices <laughs> and our choices have eternal consequences. How many's found out that our choices catch up with us and they have eternal consequences? You know, there's a whole thing going around today and you hear people saying this, and if we're not careful, we're going to fall into this. Well, it's okay, Jesus loves me, he understands. It's okay, Jesus loves me, he understands. Well, you know, he loves me. No one's going to deny that he's always going to love you. He's not always pleased with our choices and our actions. We're not always going to live in his favor, in his blessings. His perfect will will not always take place in our life. We can, by our sinful choices, forfeit his blessing, his favor, his best for us. We can become ineffective in his kingdom, in this culture. As I talked about rewards last week, we can lose our rewards. We will not be a light in the darkness in this culture. He's going to keep on loving you. But I'm going to tell you, that's what I'm talking about. I want God's best. Tell me to say, when I think about that, I really want God's best. I really do. And then come and die is the pathway through which we come and live. I want to quote Lecrae. Who's Lecrae? He's a hip-hop 
Christian artist. Yeah, I'm with it. I know what I'm talking about, okay? I listen to hip-hop all the time. No, I don't. <laughs> but I have. I know who he is. But he's a hip-hop Christian artist, Lecrae, and he said this. Talk about come and die is the pathway to which we really come and live. Jesus' kingdom is upside down to our way of thinking. And he said this, better to have a small role in God's history than to cast yourself as the lead in your own fiction. Way to hear that. Amen. Come on. Better to have a small role in God's history than to cast yourself as the lead in your own fiction. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ, to die is... For me to live as Christ, to die is... For me to live as Christ, to die is... Gain. To those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, this life was all about popularity, power, prestige, and money. If for me to live is self, then to die is loss. If for me to live is money, then to die is loss. If for me to live is popularity, then to die is loss. If me, for me to live is power, then to die is loss. If me, for me to live is sin, then to die is loss. Simply put, life without Jesus Christ is loss. But if for me to live is Christ, then to die is gain. It's all good. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. In 1927, the great Chinese Christian thinker, writer, pastor, Watchman Nee. You haven't read some of his material? Start with Sit, Walk, Stand. Watchman Nee. He got a hold of this concept. He read the verses we're talking about. And he began to grasp what the Apostle Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And he was struggling with this issue of temptation, his will, God's will, and his sinful nature. And these words came to life for him. They leaped off the page, leapt off the page, grasped and got a hold of him. Knowing that our old man was crucified with Christ, he received this truth from God. His old man was dead. People said it was evident in his life because it was hard to offend him because he considered himself to be dead. So what should my response be to the offenses and the hurts and the challenges and the temptations of life. I haven't fully gotten there. I'm a piece of work. I'm a work in progress. But this is one of my goals by the help of the Holy Spirit that I can just say, I'm dead. Just like last week. What does it really matter? Hey, I'm going to heaven. How many thought of that? Hopefully you thought of that this week. Hey, I'm going to heaven. It's all right. I'm going to heaven. It's okay. How many thought of that this week? I'm going to heaven. I had several people tell me that. Here's another one for you. When, when you want to get all worked up and you want to be over the top and you think how wrong this is and how bad this is, what of injustice and this isn't fair, how about this? You know what? I'm dead. I'm dead. 
I'm dead. I'm dead. I don't like what you said to me. I don't like how you said it to me. I think you were, no, 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 I'm dead. How about that? If we, as a church of Jesus Christ, would quit fighting with each other and just say, you know what? Love covers a multitude of offenses. I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm not going to put it on Facebook. I'm not going to take it out there in the public. I'm dead. Say it with me. I'm dead. I told you it's a hard sermon, isn't it? Come on. Somebody says, yeah, I know, because I'm going to kill you. That's why you're dead. (laughs) You keep it up, you're going to be dead. I'm just going to tell you that. No, no, just say it with me. I'm dead. The old man is dying a death, and for some of us, it's a slow death. I understand that. But I'm dead. I'm dead. Think about that. Wake up. We're falling asleep at the wheel. There are people hurting. There are people bound. There are people that are confused. There are people that are broken. And we want to say, what in the world is going on? God's called us for such a time as this. It's our time now. Our time now. So we look at that. John 12, 26. If anyone, Jesus said, serves me. Let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. So following Jesus always involves serving. You can't have one without the other. We're saved to serve, not, you know, saved to sit. Jesus is calling us to come and follow him. Here's another one of our core values. We're here to serve. Serve. So here's the big question for the morning. What do you need to walk away from in order to follow Jesus? Or who do you need to walk away from in order to follow Jesus this morning? Amen? So what are we going to do? We're called to build. We're called to build. Say it with me, build. Today is be constructive. Next week is be passionate. A little over half a century ago in America, it was the time to build. After World War II, the generation of young men and women returned from war. My father was one of them. These were the men and women who built modern America. They learned to work together in the armed services. They had seen enough destruction they had wanted to construct. They built the interstate highway system, expressway system, crisscrossing America. They built the St. Lawrence Seaway. They built the suburbs and more. They'd seen enough killing. They wanted to save lives. They beat polio and made revolutionary advances in medicine. They learned teamwork and the value of individual initiative. They labored and they filled their station wagons and their ranch homes with children. And eventually they retired, perhaps the greatest generation ever. And then came the time to tear down. We're living through that time right now. It tells us in the Old Testament, the sons of Issachar understood the times in which they lived. We need to understand the times in which we live. It's the time of tearing down. National division is at an all-time high. It's a season of destruction from, we're imploding from within, from Washington, D.C. to the man on the street and in the church. We've been about the business of 
destruction rather than construction. We've torn down integrity. We've torn down purity. We've torn down honesty. We've torn down respect. We've torn down national pride. We've torn down dreams. We've torn down our sense of shame. We've torn down our remembrance of God, how our nation was built on Judeo-Christian principles. Come on, amen? Some of you don't even know that. I got a little hobby. It's called history. Probably for 30 years, our students haven't learned real history in the United States of America. I could do a whole nother hour on that topic there, right there. Terrorism is on our own soil. High school shootings are commonplace. Diversity is the new state religion with tolerance demanded in all things except for traditional Judeo-Christian values. For many Churches who call themselves Christian, they preach a gospel void of sin and of the sinless, resurrected Savior who is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God and void of the power of the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? To be or not to be. We're called to build. Say it with me, build. It's time to build. Come on, it's time to build. See, I look at that and you say, that's depressing, Pastor. I may join the 40 million people who are depressed. I want to tell you, we're called for such a time as this. We have an opportunity. It's time to build. Amen? Where does it start? Yo, it gets a little harder right now. It starts with repentance. And before we take our finger and keep shaking it in our culture, repentance starts right here in the house of God. 2 Corinthians 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. See, we do need to repent. The first three chapters of the book of Revelation is addressed to seven churches. Now, one of my favorite sermon series I did years ago was called Squirrels in the Steeple. Some of you might have been here. That was one of my favorites because it was the first three chapters of Revelation to the churches that's listed there, the seven churches in Revelation. What do you call it squirrels in the steeple? Because we, the church of Jesus Christ, have gotten squirrely at times. That's why I called it that. We've gotten off track at times. Seven real churches. They were in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey today. Seven real churches. Also depicts church dispensations. Also depicts types of churches today. I'm going to look at two today because I don't want us to go there. We're not going to be these two churches. Say it with me. We're not going to be these churches. Come on. Say it with me. Just say no. Just say no. Say it again. No. No, we're not going to be. We're not going to be the church of Revelation chapter 2, the first five verses, the loveless church. Verse 4, nevertheless, I, Jesus, have this against you. Right there, that's enough right there. I don't want Jesus to say anything like, I have this against you. I, I don't want to hear that. That sounds bad enough right there, doesn't it? How many things that sounds bad? G Jesus saying, I have this against you? No, 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 no. That you left your first love. 
me. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He says Jesus is going to come spiritually, and he's going to bring correction. He's talking about a congregation. He said that congregation, they can continue to exist. They're going to be there, but they're not going to be light in the darkness. That church will lose their effectiveness. So just say it with me. That's not us. Say it with me. No way. We're not going to go there. Uh Uh-uh. I love Jesus today. He's good. Good. Oh, he's good. We're going to keep loving Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Then we see Revelation 3, verse 14, the lukewarm church. Not hot. You see, hot mineral springs are medicinal. That's hot. That's good. Cold. That's refreshing. Man, how how many got to get in some cooler water yesterday and you're swimming? You got in a pool. Come on, raise your hand with me. Yeah, we haven't done that much. We did that for a couple hours yesterday. It was great. The people weren't home. We just got in their pool. That's true. I did that. Well, it's Teresa's twin sister, my brother-in-law, and they, they said we could go over there. We're, they weren't home, and, but it was kind of fun thinking, you know, we just getting in the pool. But, see, cold water's refreshing. Lukewarm is nauseating. It says Jesus will come and vomit the lukewarm church out. And we look at that, and we're not positive exactly what that actually means, but it doesn't sound good. How many say, that doesn't sound good, right? Jesus is going to vomit the lukewarm church out. I can just, I know enough to say, that doesn't sound good. Come on. I, I, I did great all fall and winter, and I was feeling good. And then in April, we took this huge, wonderful trip to the Caribbean, to Cancun, and the first three days, that's all I did. And more. I don't want to get too graphic on you here. It wasn't a pretty sight. Teresa, I just said, leave. Don't stay in the room. She'd come back and check on me. Go. You want to be left alone. But see, when he says, I'm going to vomit you out, it doesn't sound good. It can't be good. And he's not probably, come on, I'm I'm really confident, not our salvation, but what he's talking about, the blessing of intimacy with him. And once again, our effectiveness as the church of Jesus Christ, being his church in this culture. For us, as the church in a time of tearing down, I believe it's time to build. That's why we're here this morning, amen? That's why it's on our heart to go to 663 in Garyville Pike. Seven years ago, we're almost 15 years old, but seven years ago, it was time to build, and that's where we're at right now, to build. But we had an acronym for the building campaign. It was Build for Life. Life was an acronym so people could live in freedom every day. It's time to build so people can live in freedom every day once again. It's time to build. And the word is that 
in the Word of God, in the Bible, for builders' edification. Say that with me, edification. So we're called to build God's house, but really we're called to build people. We're called to build people. And really, when we're going to go to one service for five weeks, and so the, the, the M-Star kids, they're really, they're going to have to multiply themselves so we can do what we do at Pinsburg. And the worship team is going to have to multiply themselves so what they can do, and ushers and greeters and so on to do what we do. Give them a break, get ready and do that. But we want you also to connect with each other during these next five weeks. We're called to one another, love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, be kind to one another, encourage one another, build up one another. So what is edification? What is it? What it isn't? Edification is not about you. It's about others. And the question is, are we going to be givers or takers? Edification is not about us. It's about others. Edification is not what you profess. It's what you pursue. What that means is talk is cheap. Building is long, deliberate work. But destruction takes place in a thoughtless moment. You're going to see in the next week, work schedules go out. And some of it's going to be so quick and easy, you don't need to be a skilled laborer. Man, you can begin to rip out and tear out. How many can swing a sledgehammer? That's one of my favorite things to do. I just got to tell you that right now. Man, we're going to take out a few walls. It feels so good. But it's fast. It's quick. It's easy. Building is long, deliberate work. Oh, I'm going to say this. I'm going to make sure I don't take too much time. And we're going to put this out there in a mass email. Because everybody can help. There's going to be work days of painting and all that. But if you have a skill, and you're a plumber, electrician, you really know how to do drywall, any of those kind of skills, please, Take one of these cards, because we really need to know who you are and what you can do, and you're going to be contacted if you have a skill. Uh, doesn't mean if you're a stand-up comedian. We don't need that right now. Maybe later, but right now we need some other kind of skills, okay? But, well, comedian wouldn't help either in the times in which we live either, I guess. But uh, we need some of those skills, but you see, we're called to build. Romans chapter 14, verse 19, we are here to pursue peace and the things that edify one another. See, edification is not about how much you know, it's about how much you care. Paul tells us also in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, love edifies, love listens, and love doesn't want to win the argument, but win the soul. Hope you heard that this morning. And edification is not about your gifts, it's about your goals. Spiritual gifts are for the building up of other believers. So the question really isn't what is your gift, but more importantly, how you tend to use it. And we sometimes, if we're not careful, begin to brag about our gifts, but we really can't do that because they're just on loan to us from God anyway. What are we going to do with these gifts? Are they for the good of other people? Edification is not about your wisdom. It's about God's word. You think about it. Our Savior's a builder. On earth, he was a carpenter, a builder. Then he was a builder of people, broken, lost, hurting, confused people. He brought restoration. He brought healing. He brought life. I want you to know the word of God, it'll build your life. 
The Word of God will stabilize your life, secure you, balance you, give you wisdom, insight, understanding. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, uh, we read those previous verses. He tells, continue holding tightly to the truth because you're living in a day where people don't want the truth. So as we close this morning, yeah, we're going to close. What do we need to take away from this? Here it is. What do you need to walk away from or who do you need to walk away from in order to follow Jesus? Is it ego? Is it pride? Is it selfishness? Is it anger? Is it unforgiveness? Is it drugs, alcohol, porn? Is it a wrong relationship this morning? It's time to decide what or who do I need to walk away from so I can fully follow Jesus Christ? They tell us we make 40, excuse me, seven decisions per day. These experts, I don't know who these so-called experts are. That's always what I wonder, who are these people? But they tell us we make 70 decisions per day. That'd be 25,000 per year, per year. That would be 1,788,500 in a lifetime. That sounds like a lot. How many say that sounds like a lot? How many, when you hear that, they'll think, I even think I make more than that sometimes. Our choices become our life. So it's what we do with the 70 per day that will determine what our lives become. To be or not to be, that is the question. Are we going to be the real church of Jesus Christ in difficult, challenging days in a culture that is dark because people are hurt, broken, and confused? Are we going to be bold enough, full of the Holy Spirit, to speak the truth in love and still stand for the truth? I will follow Jesus, the cross before me, the world behind me. Though none go with me, it seems at times, yet I will follow. I will follow Jesus, to be or not to be. Let's stand together this morning. Prayer team, would you come? You see, we have these core values because we are all about Jesus. We're here for others. We're sacrificially generous. We're here to serve, and we are united in purpose. To be, or not to be. What do you need to walk away from, or who, so you can follow Jesus this morning? Maybe you've never started a relationship with Christ. That's a question for you. Maybe you have, but you're realizing he's really not in control. He's not the Lord of my life. I'm still calling the shots. I need to let go and give him control. I'm going to come back with that in just a moment. Let's sing this together.
wanted him to sing those last few words there. Tell the world of the treasure we found. Jesus said he's coming back for a glorious church. His bride, we're the church, the bride of Christ, without spot or wrinkle. That's what he does in our life, this process of discipleship. Maybe you're here this morning. And the first question is this. You know in your heart of hearts you haven't relinquished full control to Jesus. He's not Lord of your life. He's not leading. He's not fully in charge. Still many times it's your will, it's your will. He's your Savior, but He's not really the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way your life is really going to work when He is Lord. It's the only way we're going to be fully effective is the church of Jesus Christ and when He's Lord of His church. And so I'm going to ask for that response. We're here encouraging each other, edifying one another, spurring each other on. This is a wonderful atmosphere. We're not here judging. We're not here looking at better than and less than. We're here. Let's be all that God wants us to be together. So if you recognize, I need to really embrace the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. And I haven't done that. I want to submit myself. I want these scriptures to become a reality in me. It's time to deny and die so you can really live. Raise your hand for me right now and say, I'm saying yes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else say yes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Here we are. We recognize that we're living in challenging times, difficult times. We recognize that we need to allow you to be in control and lead us, your church. We stand as Morning Star Fellowship. We stand and we surrender and we submit and we repent for anything that is not of you. We want to be your church representing you well, lifting you up, bringing people to you. I thank you, Lord, that you are patient, that you are good. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. If you're here today and you've never, ever asked Christ into your life and it's all you and not him, and you'd like to know him in the life that he has for you and have your sins forgiven, raise your hand for me right now. Four people filled out cards last week and said yes to Jesus. Anybody else? You've never, ever asked Christ into your life. You've never said, Jesus, come in. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my Savior. You've never done that. I'm going to give you that opportunity right now before we close the service. In Jesus' name, we go and we leave today. And we leave in the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. We leave in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we leave today to represent you well in a culture that needs you. And I will go and I will be who you want me to be. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise this morning. Amen. God bless you.